Hello and welcome to episode 109 of the Thinking LSAT podcast. This is Ben Olson in Washington, D.C. With me is Nathan Fox. How's it going, Nathan? Awesome, man. Yeah, happy to be back on the show. I'm excited about our guest that we have today. Yeah, so uh, Dr. Jared Maloff, is, uh, he specializes in accommodations, right? That's why we're having him on the show. Yeah, he specializes in uh, accommodations for, I guess, all tests. But specifically, I found him in the context of helping people get accommodations for the California bar exam. And then I found out that he also uh, does the testing for LSAT accommodations and I think probably gets people accommodated for all sorts of different uh, tests. Oh, that's great. Yeah. I get a lot of questions like, you know, oh, what kind of things can I get accommodations for? And uh, even if I haven't gotten them before, can I still get them now? So I'm sure a lot of people want to know about that and see if they can get that extra time. Yeah. I mean, the it, gold mine. <laughs> it really is a, a crazy, um, you know, arguably unfair advantage in some cases. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm really interested in hearing kind of what the testing entails and, um, you know, I'm curious how hard it is to like game it or how hard it is to fake it or I don't know. It'll be interesting just to talk to this guy. I've heard him on a podcast before and he seems like a, a thoughtful, uh, smart guy and obviously knows everything about this issue. So, uh, yeah, yeah, we'll have him on in uh, a little bit, but I guess we'll probably do our usual uh, news and mailbags and stuff before we add him to the call. Sure. Speaking of news, do you have any? Um, well, we do have the Richmond, Virginia white supremacist update. Okay. Uh, yeah. I, I heard from that uh, correspondent and she said, LSAC just called to let us know we have a makeup test available on October 14th, which is an extra three weeks of studying. I feel like I've cheated the LSAT, she says. So she's not happy about the white supremacy, uh, white supremacists, but she is happy about the additional three weeks of prep time that she was allowed because her, uh, her test was <laughs> canceled in Richmond, yeah. Virginia. <laughs> I, uh, I know that this can mess some people up when they get delayed and they, they don't like it because they were anticipating to take it on that day, you know? Right. But um, for a lot of people, yeah, this is uh, this is great news. They don't have to wait until December, but they can get in a few more weeks and hopefully bring their score up a couple more points to what they were hoping to hit. So yeah. uh, if, if you find yourself um, praying for a white supremacist rally, we, uh, we <laughs> hope it's for the right reason. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Yeah. Um, well, it, yeah, that's funny. People get so married to the specific day or whatever, but they're, I don't know. It's just something to complain about if they get canceled and have to take it a couple weeks later. That's right. It's a way to to redirect uh, that frustration that should be directed actually just out into the ether. There's no reason to have it. It doesn't matter. The test is just something you got to deal with and move on to the next phase. Yeah, that's right. <clears throat> cool. Well, um, should we move on through the emails? Yeah. So this next one is from Eli. Eli says, hi, Ben and Nathan. I want to thank you for the amazing tips you provide on the podcast. I'm contacting you because I'm struggling with the RC only. Oh, I'm struggling with the RC, comma, only <laughs> getting through two passages when timed and averaging 10 questions correct. Sorry, I had to add that because that was actually uh, messing me up there a little that bit. That is so. a bad sentence. Yeah. Sorry, Eli. Just uh, 
helping you along here. Mm-hmm. Only so Eli is only getting through two passages when timed and averaging ten questions of those two passages <clears throat> correct. That means yeah. that Eli is getting about ten out of twelve, maybe ten out of fourteen, depending right. on the passages. Yep. Okay. What do you recommend I do to improve my reading comprehension section? Uh, on the LR, I average 20 qu- correct, getting through all questions. And on the games, I get 18 to 20 questions on average, getting through three games. Um, wow. So for the AR, for the game section, Eli's getting pretty much everything that he's attempting correct uh, and doing pretty well in logical reasoning. Um, Probably could slow down a little bit since he's only getting 20 questions correct, but still uh, doing surprisingly well for how not well Eli's doing in reading comprehension. So what do you recommend? Well, I would want to look over Eli's shoulder and see what he's doing on the reading comprehension. Um, he's, you know, he's not really comprehending. He, he's either not comprehending or he just doesn't understand the questions are all a bunch of must be trues. You know, so I, the, I have two, I have two bits of speculation. One is, if he's doing any fancy reading comprehension strategies, those are apparently hurting him and not helping him. So if he's underlining, diagramming, highlighting, you know, all that stuff is mm-hmm. clearly, if if he's doing any of that, it is not helping him to understand. Yeah. Um, so there's that. The second thing is, yeah, just when he he really needs to look at his mistakes and those mistakes, he needs to, he needs to just look and say, you know, why did I pick? <laughs> Cause what he's doing is he's picking answers that just don't have justification in the passage. There's, yeah. it, it's like, sorry, Eli, but you're picking answers that it's just, that's not what the passage said. Mm-hmm. Um, and so sometimes, yeah, I think a common mistake is that people pick speculative answers, like they think that they're supposed to be synthesizing and, you know, going the next step or reading between the lines. Mm-hmm. Um, they're not asking you to do that on the reading comprehension. They are testing to see if you understood what you read. And the way they do that is they ask you a bunch of must be true questions. And the answer you pick, you really should be able to find justification for it somewhere in the passage. Yeah. I wonder if, uh, Eli is not – so this is my train of thought. I I, I was wondering if he's not reading um, the passage well enough and making the same mistake in logical reasoning. I mean, I know that he's doing better in logical reasoning, but you can, you know, not read the passage uh, as well as you should have. Read the question and then um, maybe – save yourself by rereading the passage again and uh, trying to catch what you should have ca- caught the first time, but you, you didn't because you were just sort of skimming the passage. And I wonder if um, he's doing that in reading comp, but you, there's no way to save yourself of from that mistake in reading comp because it's so long. Like you really should be engaged right. from the first sentence so that you remember this stuff. I, I mean, I find myself going back, like, at most once or twice uh, as I go through the questions in reading comprehension, and it's usually to verify a, ver- a very specific right. idea or something like that. And uh, so many times I'm just remembering that something was discussed, or I'm like, oh, yeah, she said that, but I don't know where it was said. 
And it just comes from being engaged with the passage. And if he's not, then maybe he's going through the answers and not remembering things and going back and rereading large portions of the passage, which is why he's only getting through two of them. I mean, Eli obviously can do logical deductions because he's doing the games. He's doing three games and he's doing them very well. So, Yeah, my guess is that you know, if he's like every other student, he thinks his problem is speed. And mm-hmm. so he is trying to read the passage faster. Mm-hmm. And then because he's trying to go fast, he's not actually comprehending it. Yeah. And then it ends up taking him forever to try to answer the questions because he just didn't really read it. He didn't really understand it the first time. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you would probably agree with me that his problem is not speed his his problem is accuracy right i mean I, the mm-hmm. thing that worries me is the anywhere between th- you know probably three or four questions that he's missing on these first two passages mm-hmm. that's a pretty clear indicator that he's not really getting it mm-hmm. and so he needs to kind of let go of the speed issue and focus on actually getting it and feeling good about his answer choices mm-hmm. and getting them right and just not missing questions and then the speed from that, you know, from really mastering it, from really understanding it, the questions will just get easier and easier. He'll spend far less time with the wrong answer choices and then hopefully eventually get to that third passage. Yeah. It's hard to be successful with just with the two passage approach. Yeah. It's, it's hard. It's going to be hard to go to law school with that, but you know, I, I wouldn't tell him he needs to push for three passages. I would tell him he needs to uh, push for accuracy and and then let the speed kind of just emerge naturally. Yeah. Uh, this reminds me, I, I just started uh, listening to a book uh, called How to Read a Book. <laughs> okay. I find it a little ironic that I'm listening to it on right. Audible. But um, it's... Uh, really pompous to be honest but i think that's because it was written originally in 1940 or something and then revised in the 70s okay so i'm sort of reading it with a little bit of skepticism as to how true all of what it's discussing is today but i mean some things obviously never change you know in terms of how people read and so forth but um one thing that I thought was interesting in a, the first part of the book, at least what I've gotten to so far, has talked about how um, most uh, educators focus on like the what you would consider like the elementary steps to reading, you know, sounding out words, um, constructing sentences and things like that. But that sort of reading education, at least when this book was updated in the 70s, um, which sounds silly now that we're talking about, but uh, education for reading really kind of stopped uh, or stops around sixth grade and that most uh, education then turns its focus to other things and doesn't really get into what he calls analytical reading and um, uh, also 
uh, I don't know the exact word he used, but the idea of reading multiple books on the same topic to try to really understand that topic. But what I was most interested in or what I am most interested in is the discussion on analytical reading, reasoning or reading. And what he says about it is that most uh, high schoolers graduate and have no idea to how to read anything analytically. And by that he means – really intensely to the point where you understand everything that's going on. And I'm thinking, yeah, this is just like reading comprehension on the LSAT. And then he said that some people figure it out in college, but a lot of people don't because there's no real discussion. There's just sort of this underlying assumption that you know how to do that. And I think that <laughs> that problem carries over for a lot of LSAT test takers. They sort of like think I hear all the time, oh, I did so much reading in college. And I'm like, yeah, but what kind of reading did you do? Did you just read a lot of books? I mean, depending on how you read that, if you're reading an assignment in which you just had to sort of catch the gist of some novel, that's a much different kind of reading, I think, than the analytical reading you need to do with these 15 sentences or even in logical reasoning with two or three sentences to the point where you understand exactly what is being said and what's not being said and having some sort of reaction to that. So I'm hoping to find more as I read this book, but um, in any case, this this email made me think of that. Yeah, I think maybe they get, uh, in college, they get these long-ass reading assignments, you know, that are just like, they're they're longer than anyone can actually really read and engage with. Yeah. And mm -hmm. so then people get into this mode of just like skimming reading, where they're, mm -hmm. eh, yeah, I read it. <laughs> You know, not really carefully, but I sure I read it. I finished it. Yeah, and that's not, that's not the point on the reading comp, and it's not the point on the logical reasoning either, right? On the logical yeah. reasoning, you need to be the master of that argument. You need to understand that this this argument is a, a little machine, and you have to figure out whether the machine works or not. Mm -hmm. And if it's not working, if it's broken, then you need to be able to say, "Here's why it's broken, and here's what you would do to make it better, and here's what you would do to entirely smash the machine." Yeah. And reading comprehension is not really the same way. It's not like a they're not, you know, trying to build a formal argument really, but you certainly need to be digging in there. I think people just yeah, they don't get their teeth into it enough. They mm -hmm. they like I'll ask them, you know, I'll ask sometimes I'll ask my students what this is, you know, what what is this passage? Why does this passage exist? What is, what is this document? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And they'll come back with like the topic. Mm -hmm. They'll oh, tell yeah. me, they'll tell me like the topic. Well, it was about this. Yeah. And, and I'm like, yeah, but what about it? Yeah. It, is it, is it, is this thing, you know, lichenometry, right? Yeah. Lichenometry. Okay. But is it good? Is it bad? What the hell is it? Why do they, what do they want to tell us about lichenometry? What is it that is important and interesting and different and new or whatever? But what is the, point. <laughs> why, why does this document exist? Why is this in our face right now? What is this? Yeah, and people and don't get that. They just don't get that far with it. The other thing I find interesting is that, um, and I don't want anybody to feel bad, but they do this uh, all the time. And that is they give me like fragments. Do you get fragments? Like what's what's the, the main idea here? And it's like, well, Bengal tigers in distress. I'm sort of yeah, like, yeah. 
Um, I think that's what I mean. They, like they when I are say in, yeah, that that's like the topic, right? It's yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> it, it's and and so it's like in a very grammar school sort of a way, you know. Yeah, that's what it's about. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's not a complete idea, though. You need to finish that. They are in distress. They're, they 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 have been, and that's going away, or it's getting worse. Like yeah. you need to have a complete sentence. Yeah, and why? And what are, are, do they want us to do something about it? Are they? Yeah. W- w- so, <laughs> yeah. what about it? Uh, yeah. Um, the 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 answer, the correct answer to the main point question, which is almost always the first question in reading comprehension, um, is a complete sentence. It's an idea. It's a yeah. complete idea. Uh, and sometimes they tend to be a little long because they might have like concessions, you know, although right. there's been resistance in the athletic community to these recent changes. Some have argued blah, blah, blah. And that's maybe that's the main point. Maybe the main point is just that some people have been arguing for this and the author hasn't even taken a position on it. But the point is, is that there is a subject, there is a verb, and you need to zero in on those things and ask yourself, is this passage about the central ideas being expressed in this sentence. Yeah. I, in any case. Yeah. I would encourage, uh, Eli and our other faithful listeners to try to predict the answer to the main point question. Um, I find students getting themselves in a lot of trouble because they, they too quickly go into the answer choices for that main point question. And then they don't, you know, they, they haven't really digested it for themselves. And, And if you, if you can make a good prediction, then of course you're going to get that main point question right. But it's also a kind of a bellwether, right? To to show that you actually are understanding, that you actually comprehended it. Um, oh yeah, for sure. Your you job can't answer that. Yeah, I've I've told you the, the the metaphor that I always use, right, or the way I teach it these days, which is to to tell people that I'm their boss and they have to, I've, I've given them this document and I've asked them to read it and come and tell me what it's about. Yeah. And when you come into my office and you, you know, tell, and, uh, I'm very busy and <laughs> your job was to read this thing. And I'm like, yeah, okay. So what was it? What do they want? Yeah. You better tell me what they want. What is this document? What is mm-hmm. why is this in our face? What is this? What do they want? And yeah, that's the answer to the main point question. And it'll make that question a lot easier, but then it'll also make every other question vastly easier because you this time you actually comprehended the passage. You didn't just skim it and kind of get it. You actually read it and then you went down the hall to super scary Nathan in his office. And you told me what it's about. Well, you better yeah. goddamn be able to tell me what that document is about. You know, you're fired if you don't come down there and tell me in a sentence what this is. Why? Yeah. And, and so it's like, it's funny because I, it's easier, I think, than people understand. But they mm-hmm. do have to give it some focus, right? They have to actually pay attention. They have to try harder. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I think it's a great analogy because the reality is that if you go through this whole law school thing and then you end up working at a firm, 
a lot of you are going to have to do exactly that. You're going to have to, you're going to get an assignment from a partner who's going to ask you what the outcome should be. And the biggest mistake that most people make at the beginning of their legal career is they go wishy-washy. You know, they say, well, it seems like we should maybe do this, but there could also be an argument why we should do that. No, I don't want to have to read the case and figure that out for you. You tell me what the outcome is, and then we'll go ahead and go from there. Um, So you're going to have to come up with those one-sentence definitive (laughs) uh, statements for your partner or whoever you're working for. Yeah. And this is not an imaginary thing. This is a very real thing. And in fact, the LSAT is 10 times, 100 times easier. You just read the passage and then you say the main point is X. It's 60 lines instead of 60 pages, you know, or 600 pages. (laughs) Of cases and ambiguity and stupidity. Statutes and (laughs) code regulations and everything. Yeah, people have no idea what they're getting themselves into. The other thing, and it's it's hilarious because, I mean, it's sad, but it's also hilarious because I'll stand there in class and I will, I'll, I'll have every, you know, we'll read a passage together. And then I'll say, okay, you know, Jimmy, uh, what was that passage about? And Jimmy will say something that it's like, if you came to my office and you tried to tell me that that's what this document is about, you, Jimmy, you are fucking fired. You, mm-hmm. That was terrible. Are you kidding me? That is not what... <laughs> That is not even close. It's only a 60 line thing. It's not that hard to say what this was about. Yeah. And, you know, so it'll be incomplete. It'll, it'll be just the topic Mm -hmm. or it'll be, you know, they'll put words in the author's mouth. Yeah. They'll just say something. They'll, they'll start putting their own like opinion on it. And, yeah. And look, I mean, We've all had to get better at this over time. So if you're struggling, it's fine. But you just got to like try to predict and then see how close you get to the correct answer in the um, in the first question. I mean, and the correct answer is not always the best description of the main point, but you should see how it's by far the closest from the other four. Oh, yeah. The four wrong answers are just complete garbage a lot of the time. They're, they're yeah. going to be... Um, It'll be just like one small part of the argument, but not the main yep. point. Or yep. it'll be uh, actually a misstatement of what yeah. the passage said. And if you really understand what's there, if you really read it closely enough, um, then yeah, those those wrong answers start to seem really wrong. And it's pretty easy then to narrow it down to, I mean, a lot of times you're just going to predict exactly the answer too. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and if not, then you... Yeah, you you get rid of the worst ones, and the one that's left is like, oh yeah, okay, well I wouldn't have put it this way, but sure, that's sure we'll 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 say that, you know, that's fine. Yeah. Um, A lot of times, I mean, if you're doing it right, you should be you should feel that way sometimes, right? Where you're sort of disappointed in the correct answer. (laughs) Where you? Yeah. You're like, I know what the main point of this is. Yeah, and I wouldn't have put. Yeah, I wouldn't have said it that way. But okay, it's better than all this other garbage. So that's the answer. Yeah. Um, if you're doing it right, that's how it should feel. Yeah. Okay. Um, maybe squeeze in one more email before we go get our guest. Sure. Yeah. Do you want to read this one? Sure. Um, it says, "Good morning, guys." 
I just wanted to pass along a funny story I heard from a friend who took the LSAT a couple years ago. He said that when he took the test, the girl sitting next to him threw up all over the desk and floor and that the proctors didn't clean it up because they didn't want to disrupt the class or stop paying attention to people who could possibly cheat. (laughs) (laughs) Did they say that? Hi, we're going to just leave this here because we want to keep watching you to see if you might cheat. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that seems like maybe speculation from the correspondent. (laughs) Um, Needless to say, he and the others around him ended up leaving halfway through, and he canceled his score since he had vomit on himself and because the smell was so bad he couldn't concentrate. So, no matter what horror stories people tell you, it could always be worse. Bill. it's a good point, Bill. It could always be worse. Keep that in mind. It could. Well, we're all going to um, get old and sick and die someday, so that could be worse too. But that's um, right. If you're stressed out on testing, <clears throat> think about your deathbed. Yeah, yeah. Everybody could remember that, and maybe everybody yeah. would relax a little bit. Mm-hmm. Well, that was a quick one. Maybe one more. Sure. Uh, let's see here. Scroll now. Okay. Um, this person does not want us to use her, her name, oh. so we'll call her. How about uh, Big Ten? Because she graduated from a Big Ten school. Great. So Big Ten writes, first, I want to thank you for these podcasts. They have really helped in my consideration of law school. I graduated from a Big Ten school with a BS in business administration and a minor in political science with a 3.8. I recently started my, quote, corporate job and absolutely cannot stand working for corporate America, nor do I see myself doing it for the rest of my life. Um, okay. By the and way, you're thinking about going to law school? Why? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what could be more corporate <laughs> than being a lawyer. But let's yeah. continue. I started considering law school during my sophomore year of undergrad, but got scared by the quote big price tag. That's, yeah, should be scared of that. Yeah. I am also getting married this year. Congrats. I probably I'll probably be married by the time you get this. So it's not just my debt, but our debt. Aww. After learning more about scholarships, I realized that I might may not have to take on as much debt as I had originally thought. Is it reasonable for me to start studying now for the December LSAT with any hope of applying for the 2018 cycle? Would you recommend for studying when I work full-time? Okay, so right now it's the end of September, which means we have October and November until the December LSAT. We don't know where you're scoring or what you're hoping to do with your law degree once you graduate or where you want to go to school, yada, yada. But two months is normally a good amount of time for most people to get ready for the test and applying or taking the test in December and then applying after the scores come out is normal. It's not early, but it's definitely normal. So yes, you can definitely give it a shot and see what happens. Um, and we would recommend 35 minute sections, right? So what else would you want to add for big 10? <clears throat> yeah. One section per day between now and the December test. And that should get Big Ten through about 15 practice tests. Um, I would do one section a day and thoroughly review it. I think you should use Ben's online class uh, or my online class as a guide. 
And um, because you can do that when you're working full time, you can still do uh, video lessons at home at night yeah. or on the yeah. weekends or whatnot mm-hmm. and work around your schedule. Mm-hmm. Um, it You're pushing it a little bit, but if you started now, yeah, I think you could be ready to take a shot at the December LSAT. Just, you know, that means you don't have any backup dates for the 2018 cycle. Um, Don't take the February LSAT and then go to law school that same year. You can take the February LSAT. There's nothing wrong with the February LSAT. In fact, you should plan on taking the February LSAT as a backup. Yeah. Um, But so that's what I would do. I would put December 2nd. February, whatever, and June, whatever on the calendar. So she would have a first attempt plus two backup attempts. And then just realize that if you don't get your best score on the December 2018 LSAT, you are not going to law school in 2018. Sorry, December 2017 LSAT. If you don't get your best score on December 2017 LSAT, then you are going to be retaking in February and that pushes you into the next uh, cycle. But you know, talking about scholarships, talking about debt, the earlier you apply in the cycle, the better chance you have of, uh, admission and scholarships. So, um, for her, uh, you know, for her marriage, she might want to consider getting a really good LSAT score and getting uh, the best scholarship she can. And yeah, if that means she ends up going next cycle, that's, there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. You ever had anybody tell you they you you they wish they would have gone to law school sooner? <laughs> ever? I'm really happy where I am. I just wish I would have started a year earlier. <laughs> no. Not once. No. People have said, "Why did I go here? <laughs> why did I go why at did all?" Why did I sell my sh- Yeah, why did I go at all <clears throat> or why did I sell myself short? Why did I take um, such a shitty deal? Yeah. Um, why didn't I study harder for the LSAT and get a better scholarship? Uh, yeah, we hear that all the time. So yeah, don't rush into anything. Big 10. Um, why didn't I vote in the December, 2016 or wait, November, 2016 election. Those are the kinds of things we hear. (laughs) Yeah. God damn it. Um, okay. Well, let's go get our, uh, guests, shall we? Yeah, let's do it. Welcome, Jared, to the show. Uh, I'll let you and Nathan talk, because I think, Nathan, you originally found Jared, right? So I'll let you guys introduce each other and go from there. Uh, Yeah, sure. So I found you, Jared, um, because of Lee Burgess. You were on Lee's uh, podcast. She's a a California bar tutor, and she had you on to talk about accommodations for the California bar exam. Yes, that's correct. Um, so that's how I found you originally. But you're you're here in Los Angeles, right? You're in Beverly Hills. Yeah, I'm located in Beverly Hills. Okay, cool. And yeah, so maybe you can just introduce yourself to the listeners. Uh, how long have you been practicing, and exactly what do you do, and all that stuff? Okay, well, I'm a licensed clinical psychologist, and I've been practicing here in Beverly Hills for the past eleven years, and. In addition to doing, you know, all of the, you know, more traditional things that one would expect a psychologist to do, like meeting with people and doing therapy, um, I also do a lot of uh, psychological and psychoeducational testing. So I think today the relevant part of what I do would be discussing the psychoeducational testing. Um, And that's also what I discussed when I was on Lee's podcast. 
Um, so one of the things I do a lot of is help people with, uh, you know, needs, be it uh, uh, academic needs or a, a person who might have difficulty with attention and concentration, a person who might have difficulty with reading speed, or a person who might have difficulty with severe anxiety or depression. I, I help them get supported adequately in schools and also when they take important examinations like uh, the bar exam or also like the LSAT. That's very interesting. We've talked about accommodations for the LSAT a ton on the show. Um, have you seen an increase in the number of people uh, coming specifically for LSAT accommodations? Um, it's always been a pretty uh, fertile area for people to uh, to want to you know to look for accommodations. So um, it's always been a pretty high number, and, and it definitely continues to be that way. Um, I would say there's probably been an increase uh, a little bit over the past couple of years because there was an important lawsuit filed against LSAC, who administers the LSAT, and they lost. And then since they lost, they've had to become much more um, reasonable with the way they evaluate these accommodations requests. So they used to be very uh, unreasonable and, and were found to be, you know, actually kind of discriminated against people. And, and now they kind of give people a fair shot. So um, I do see quite a few people for LSAT accommodations. And, you know, the good news is a lot of them are, um, a lot of the people who really need them are getting them because LSAC now has to really give people a fair shake. Can you talk a little bit about the process? I mean, when you, when you talk about a student who, who needs these accommodations, what does the typical student look like and what does the testing look like and how does the whole process work? Okay. Well, you know, the typical student looks like a person who, um, well, there are a few different categories. So one category might be, uh, the type of student who's had accommodations or academic support almost their whole life. So sometimes people will come and they'll say, I've had an IEP, which is, stands for an individualized educational program. You know, they'll say, I went to school and, you know, since the second grade, I've had, you know, 50% extra time on all my tests and they have their documentation. And um, the reason they might come to me is because LSAC likes to see these uh, evaluations done within a period of five years. So sometimes they'll say, oh, I haven't been evaluated since before high school. You know, so I'll have to reevaluate them. But, you know, those cases are uh, one category where it's something that's been really well documented for a person's entire life. And then you have another category of uh, students that come to me. And this is probably, in fact, the much larger category. I seem to get a lot of students who have these problems, let's say uh, processing disorder, causing them to really have difficulty with reading comprehension, they have to read things over and over again, or someone with an attention deficit, and they maybe didn't get evaluated when they were a young kid, and they're coming now in their early 20s uh, to look into the issue. So that's really the majority of the people that I end up seeing. And then, yeah, how, how, what kind of testing is it? How long does it take? Can you talk about how much it costs or any of that kind of stuff? Sure. So basically, um, What's required is what's called a uh, comprehensive psychoeducational evaluation. So what that means is we have to administer a, a 
assessment that looks at cognition. So we're going to see what a person's specific strengths and weaknesses are uh, cognitively. So intellectually, how do they learn best? Do, do they learn best from uh, being exposed to auditory or verbal data? Or do they learn best when they're exposed to visually presented data? So we figure that out and we identify a baseline level of functioning, you know, what their intellectual abilities suggest that they should be capable of. And then after that, we look into achievement skills. So how a person is actually functioning in certain areas that are pertinent to the LSAT. So the LSAT is a test of reading and writing, mostly reading. And so we're going to look at how a person functions when they're presented different tasks of reading. Some of the tasks are timed and some of them are untimed. And if we see that there's a certain pattern of scores, you know, then I would be able to know that a person um, should probably have uh, either academic supports or testing accommodations or both. And, and what the process entails is we have to administer these tests. It could be done either in one day or it can be done in several days, but it really takes about four hours to get through these tests. And uh, so, you know, it's something that takes a little bit of a time investment. And then after that, um, you know, the student's job is done, but then I have to write a, a comprehensive report. And these reports are usually about 20 pages, sometimes more, in order to really lay out the information. And if a person needs uh, testing accommodations, you know, I'm really formulating uh, the rationale for that in a certain way. Um, and so that's what the process is. It usually takes me about seven or 10 days to get the documentation complete. And then I get it to the student and uh, they send it over to LSAC. Uh, the cost of this um, is basically a flat rate because I've done this so many times. So I really just know how long it's going to take and what it's going to entail. Um, the fee that I charge has been $1,800. And the reason it's that amount is because of all of the time investment, not just for the testing itself, but for you know the composition of the 20-ish page report. Is that something that people can use insurance for or do they just pay you cash? Uh, they can use insurance. So for example, um, it depends what insurance they have. So um, sometimes I see people and they say, oh, I have Kaiser insurance. Can I use it? Unfortunately, I can't take Kaiser insurance because the only people that take Kaiser insurance work at a Kaiser facility and I don't. Um, you know, part B of that is that Kaiser really doesn't have great coverage for mental health related issues anyway. And, and this you know, even though we are talking about ADHD and learning disabilities, this still falls under that mental health heading. So the kinds of people that can get uh, things covered are people that have PPO insurances. So they're allowed to choose their own doctor. They're allowed to go outside their network and people that have, you know, good plans in which their deductible has already been met. So sometimes I'll see someone and they'll say, you know, they have Anthem Blue Cross. They're policy covers 70%. And uh, we'll say, great, but then I'll look into it and I'll say, but there's a $5,000 deductible. So for people like that, they do pay, um, you know, out of pocket. But sometimes if people have a small deductible or their deductible has been met, then they can get a pretty healthy reimbursement from their insurance company, you know, after the process is complete. So it does vary, but I definitely try to use insurance when a person does have uh, good coverage. Do you uh, handle appeals or, I mean, does it, how often do you get, re you probably don't even get rejected these days when you, with your 20 page report. 
Um, well, but, I mean, I right. I mean, uh, I, you know, I, I feel confident in the process that I um, have developed over all these years of, of working with them. And so, you know, I know what it is that I have to address in these reports. So, it, you know, it really comes down to the strength of the case. You know, just like a person who's working as a lawyer, you know, they'll say, you know, they really know what to do to, you know, lay their case out. And, you know, it's going to depend on, on the facts of the case. So, you know, basically, if a person really uh, needs accommodations and, and the test results are able to confirm that, then the chances are, you know, usually very high that that they will get approved. If, if there's something about the testing results or there's something about a person's history that doesn't uh, work out, then it'll be harder. So, but but it's true. The you know the people that have been coming to see me, um, you know, certainly since LSAT, uh, you know, lost that lawsuit. You know, the vast majority are are being approved. And uh, and 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 I think you said something about appeals. So, um, what I always tell people is that if for some reason an appeal would be necessary, um, you know, I always help them with that. Um, and you know, I don't charge any additional fee for that. Hmm. Cool. Thanks. Yeah. So you talked about these two different groups of people, the people who have had documentation for basically their entire life. And then those people who are sort of, uh, they feel like they have these challenges and they haven't ever really addressed them officially. And now you're stepping in and helping them with that. Um, I do uh, get, several people in class every semester who come up to me and they fall into the second group and they say, look, I feel like I have some issue, maybe a processing issue or, you know, a lot of, in a lot of cases, they don't even know uh, how to describe it. They just feel like they have some sort of challenge. And frankly, everyone struggles with time. So it's sort of hard in my mind to say like, oh, well, your, your challenge must be, something that is identifiable versus your your challenge is the challenge that we all have um, when it comes to struggling with time. So if someone is on the fence and trying to decide whether to uh, reach out to someone like you or think they might even have a shot at getting accommodations, what sort of things would you suggest that they look for? Or is it just something where they have to come in and do the testing? Uh, well, it's a few things. Um, I guess I would say a person who has really been working hard in the class and who seems to really know their stuff, but when it comes time to taking the time-limited test, is just really not coming that close to finishing the section. So I'm not talking about the students who are able to do well and maintain accuracy, and maybe they're not finishing each section, but they're leaving, you know, let's say two questions, they're having to guess on the last two. You know, that's someone that, you know, probably... Is functioning okay, and you know maybe they need an extra minute or something, but it's not something all that uh, severe. You know, so we're looking at the people that really seem to know a lot more than they can demonstrate within the standard allotment of time. So people that really have to guess on a significant number of items, who also know their material. Those are the people that um, you would really think would need help. Um, and what I will also do for people, because um, you said, well, should do they just come in and have to do the testing? Um, the short answer is sort of yes, but then the longer answer is that what I will do is, at, you know, while I'm testing someone, by the end of the testing appointment, I'm going to know whether or not they have 
a case that's you know quite legitimate and a case that will really give them uh, a good chance at getting uh, approved. There are times where in the midst of the process, I'll say to a person, you know what, I can see that the way the scores are looking, there's really not going to be an avenue toward making a good argument for this. And then I'll just say, okay, you know, let's, uh, you know, let's, let's move on, let's stop. And then, you know, in those cases, the person only pays me for the time that they've taken to do the testing. So the cases where I mentioned before, the person is paying, let's say, $1,800, they're only paying that amount in the case that I uh, complete the assessment process, including their report. And I won't even bother writing the report if I think that the person doesn't have uh, much of a chance of getting approved. Um, the vast majority of people that come in are, at least for me, are people that have been feeling like they've had something going on, some kind of problem for years. Um, so the vast majority of people that I see, you know, do get reports. I do write the reports and I don't have to, you know, say, well, I don't think this is going to work, but sometimes I do. Uh, it's not frequent, but a person can know, for example, that they can have the safety to know that if they don't get a report that's going to be written up, that's probably going to have a good chance of getting approved, they're not going to have to pay the whole fee, you know? So some of that maybe gives a person peace of mind to know that they'll get a, a, a good opinion, um, you know, and it, and they're not going to have to you know, pay a lot if they're, if they're told they don't have a good chance. Yeah. So two things. One, um, is this kind of testing something that people have to do in person? It sounds like you're doing it with them, right? Yeah. It has to be done in person because there are a lot of elements that are interactive. You know, there are things, there are times where I have to hand them things, they have to manipulate things. Um, so right. It is the kind of thing that they would have to see me in person. So, um, you know, mostly I see obviously people that are living in Southern California, but, um, you know, one would be surprised that, you know, in the course of doing this for the LSAT and certainly for the bar exam, uh, people will fly in and, uh, and see me specifically for this. So I've had people come from as far as, uh, um, the Middle East to do this and, um, you know, some a lot of times people in San Francisco, if they can't find someone nearby or if they really want to work specifically with me, they'll fly in for the day and then uh, get the testing done and fly back that evening. Oh, okay. What what terms should people search for if they want to find someone locally? Well, they should look for psychological testing or psychoeducational testing and you know, once they find a lot of people do psychological testing or psychoeducational testing, um, but once they get someone who says that they do it, they really want to ask a lot of specific questions. So, for example, for the LSAT, they're going to want to find someone who's had a lot of experience working with the LSAT in the past. Um, you know, there are a lot of people that know how to give the tests that are required, um, but it doesn't necessarily mean that they do this a lot. Um, or specifically work with the LSAT. You, you know, you want people who understand what the LSAT or what LSAC really wants to see, what they're expecting in terms of a report. And then there are also certain tests that have to be administered. Um, there are specific instructions given by LSAC about which tests are given. So sometimes I'll end up seeing people and they'll say, well, I went to my psychiatrist and he, you know, gave me a rating scale and filled out the paperwork and I got denied. And in those cases, of course, a person gets denied because, you know, they didn't follow any of the instructions about which tests have to be given and, and the specific way that this has to be written up. So, 
you know, anyone who finds a mental health professional to do this really needs to make sure that they know what they're doing. And, um, you know, I'm sure there are a number of people out there that do it. But, uh, you know, even if people can't find someone locally, you know, they can always contact me. Yeah. How uh, do uh, people contact you if they if they want to? Do you have a website or something people can look at? I do. I have a website, which is uh, beverlyhillspsychologist.com. Uh, it's singular, Beverly Hills Psychologist. And, uh, you know, they can find me there. A lot of times people will just send me an email or, you know, they'll leave me a message. And I get back to people pretty quickly. And, um, you know, usually over the phone, you know, I'll spend a little bit of time hearing what a person's concerns are. And I'll ask a few questions about what their history is, where they went to school and how they've done before in the past on a, on standardized testing. And, you know, I'll kind of give a very preliminary opinion and say, well, you know, it sounds like there's really an issue here. If you want to look into that, we can certainly do that. Um, there have been other times where, you know, let's say a person says, you know, I'm really struggling with the LSAT and I'll say, well, did you take the SAT? And they'll say, yes. Well, how'd you do? Well, I got a 1500, you know, out of 1600 or something. And, you know, people like that, um, unless something really has happened in the intervening time between the SAT and the LSAT, um, you know, aren't going to have a strong case because, you know, in the past they've done so, so well on standardized testing. Um, you know, this type of service is really good for people who maybe have always had good grades, but have struggled with time limited testing. Hmm. Uh, I'm just curious, uh, how many people get like time and a half versus double time? Um, is this a record? Like, it feels to me like most people get time and a half, so fifty-three minutes. Is this something that you're re- specifically recommend recommending in those that report you submit to LSAC? You say, "Hey, I think this person should get time and a half. I think this person should get double time, or something like that." Yeah, everything has to be very specific, you know. So you can't just say give the person more time, and also you can't say give the person an untimed test, you know, every test has to be timed. So um, you have to be very specific. And, you know, the way the LSAT has their forms is they basically give you these choices. It says 50% extra time, 100% extra time, and then it says other, you know, so you are able to ask for something else um, that isn't either one of those. Um, You know, 50% is kind of like uh, the most standard uh, recommendation a person can have. So the most common is always going to be 50%. Um, but a lot of people I see need double time. And uh, believe it or not, there have been occasions where uh, a person or several people have really worked so slowly that they've need, needed more than double time. So, I mean, I've seen the LSAT approve, you know, up to three times uh, extra time, uh, you know, which makes for a really long testing day. But, um, you know, as long as the objective data is supportive of the recommendations, you know, they will generally uh, approve the request. Hmm. Nathan, did you have anything else you wanted to talk about? Um, <clears throat> yeah, and I, I don't know, Jared, how much you can say about this, or I, but I'm, I'm just really interested in your opinion. Um, we are... Ben and I both have experience with people getting accommodated testing and then scoring extremely highly on the exam. 
which uh, makes us slightly queasy about the possibility that this whole system can be abused. Do you have any thoughts about about that? Sure. Well, um, you know, it's important that uh, testing integrity is maintained. So the whole idea of an accommodation is not to give anybody an advantage. You know, the concept is that the Americans with Disabilities Act states that uh, people with disabilities have to be judged against their peers on a level playing field. So, you know, the whole idea is that people, um, if they get an accommodation, it's, it's helping them get from negative territory to zero. You know, they're not supposed to be given any kind of advantage. Um, you know, certainly there are a lot of uh, tests that are required. Uh, there's a lot of objective data that you have to provide. And so, you know, it is something that uh, is hard to manipulate by which, you know, you can't just say, well, this is a guy that needs extra time because, um, you know, X, Y, and Z and not have objective data. So, you know, if the people are getting approved, it is because they've taken tests that show there is a need for these issues. Of course, I would imagine in any area, um, you know, there are people that probably find a way to abuse things. Um, but, you know, that's not what I'm about. And um, I'm trying to find people that, uh, well, I do really find people who genuinely have issues that, that need to be accommodated for. Um, and I think most of the time the people that are getting approved, uh, you know, really do need it. Um, because the accommodate because the assessment process is fairly rigorous. Yeah, and I, I certainly ho- hope you don't take that the wrong way. I'm not definitely not um, you know accusing you of taking advantage. And I also am not you know when I look at my students who have been accommodated, I don't think that their intent was ever to take advantage of the system. Um, the thing that worries me is that. Of all of the students I've ever had who have scored 175 or higher on the test, about half of them are accommodated students. And so then this, it's just sort of like, in fact, um, seems like, it seems like a bit of a problem. I I don't, I don't know. Ben, do you feel the same way? Oh, definitely. I guess um, I am concerned about the interplay because between time and success because time is an indication of how well you understand something right so i feel like it's kind of hard i mean i'm not an expert in this area so i'm i'm really going to have to defer to you jared but uh i feel like when people don't perform as well under a timed setting it's precisely because they don't know it as well, they need to know it better, that they're failing, not because they necessarily need an accommodation. But it sort of feels to me like the accommodation testing process looks into time in the same way that the LSAT is trying to use time to assess your ability to do things uh, well. Uh, under a time pressure. Well, it does. And, um, you know, what, what we're really looking for are, you know, pretty significant discrepancies, uh, you know, so we're not looking at a person who does, um, you know, quite well while they're limited by time, but then they just do even better when they're not limited by time. You know, we're really looking at uh, a person having some significant discrepancy, um, showing that they're, 
there's a big variance between how they do when they're timed versus when they're not timed to an extent that it's clear that by being timed, they are placed at a disadvantage. So, you know, I guess it sounds like there have been uh, scenarios where maybe you guys have seen people that, you know, maybe didn't quite need them or but got them anyway. And, and certainly that shouldn't happen. Um, but, you know, I'm I'm on a different end of this. Uh, you know, on my side, I frequently, you know, help people. Uh, who need them to get accommodations. I don't necessarily find out how well they do or how well they don't do. Um, so I wasn't aware of, of this issue that you're bringing up about such a high percentage of the highest scores as being accommodated testers. Yeah, I mean, when I initially asked you, and again, this is nothing like I, I trust exactly what you're saying and I have confidence that what you're doing is uh, to help these individuals. But when you were describing like the kind of people who would likely be or could be candidates for help, uh, honestly, I mean, maybe we just need to expl- like lay it out a little bit more, but it honestly sounds like most people who I help prepare for the LSAT. Like you're saying that if they get near the end of the test and they can't get to the last couple questions, well then maybe, you know, they're doing pretty well and therefore don't need help. But if they're doing very well on the questions that they get to, but they're only getting through a half of the test or two thirds of the test, I mean, honestly, that sounds like a lot of people. So I, I feel like there are a lot of people out there who could <laughs> seek out this testing and I wouldn't be surprised if a high percentage of them ended up needing some sort of an accommodation. And then that makes me sort of feel like, well, if so many people are eligible, then is this really something that we need to be accommodating for? I I, I mean, again, I don't know. Those are a lot of assumptions, but um, and people really have to look at how well they're doing on the questions that they're actually getting to. But if you're doing really well on the ones you're getting to and you're only getting through half the section, it sounds like you're a candidate in some ways. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, you know, that's, that's one part of it. I mean, that's kind of a screening tool that people can use just to, to say to themselves, Oh, uh, is this something I should look into? Um, I would say if someone has that experience and they would like to look into it, that seems like a legitimate reason to do so. But in then yeah. look in, in then looking into it, you know, there becomes much more a rigor, much more rigorous uh, study into how they're actually doing and and what you know and, and how they're performing and what they should be capable of. So you know it's certainly not as simple as saying, well, anyone who doesn't finish half the test needs to get extra time. Um, you know that's one piece, and then we we look at a lot of other things too. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's 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 not an issue that um, I don't know what other uh, assessors do or, or how they make their decisions. But, um, you know, the, the people I see, I really end up feeling like these are people who really are in need. Um, a lot of times I'm not, I'm, I'm seeing people that, um, you know, really, if not for the accommodation, they would not have a chance to, uh, to compete at all. You know, so I'm looking at sort of that side of it. Um, but you know, as, as I'm hearing from you guys, uh, there is another side and, uh, you know, maybe, maybe the pendulum has swung in another direction uh, as well. As I said before, you know, maybe five years ago, 
you know, there were people who really were very much in need who were not getting approved because they were being judged very, very unfairly. Um, maybe, you know, maybe now they haven't quite yet calibrated their, uh, you know, gotten to the right point yet. But, um, you know, that's an issue that they're going to have to figure out for themselves, I guess. Awesome. Um, thanks so much, Jared, for coming on the show. Okay. You're uh, welcome. No problem. Hopefully this has uh, been helpful in some way. Oh, I think listeners are going to find it very helpful. Yeah. If uh, it's Dr. Jared Maloff, if you want to know more about his services, you can go to Beverly Hills psychologist.com. Yeah, that's right. Um, and, uh, or they could Google my name and, you know, I'm happy to talk to anyone that has any questions. Fantastic. Any last comments, Jared or Ben, any last questions? I'm good, Jared. Um, well, I think the one last thing I would say is that, um, I don't know if you guys are seeing this, but frequently the, the population that I work with, uh, out here, um, are, are people who culturally feel very stigmatized by the idea of looking for assistance in this way. So, um, I think the reason why I see people, so many people who haven't been assessed before and they're in their twenties is because, um, you know, they were afraid to reach out or admit that they needed help. And so, um, you know, obviously there are multiple sides to this, but I know there are people who feel that they're going to be stigmatized or that their information is going to be used against them. And, um, you know, I, I would say that LSAC and, um, you know, schools and, and all these institutions, you know, they do have to protect people's privacy and their right to, uh, you know, transmit medical information in a confidential way. And so, you know, I hear people talking a lot about this and, and worries that somehow schools are going to find out that they took an accommodated test or, or that they have some kind of disability. And, you know, I wanted to just dispel that because that's not the case. Yeah, that's a very good point. Fantastic. Well, we've taken up uh, enough of your time. Jared, thanks very much for uh, for the time. Ben, you want to uh, continue with some more emails? Yeah, let's do it. Got a little bit of time. Okay, you want to read this one? Hi, Nathan. I got, uh, sorry, <clears throat> I've got a few quick questions that you might be interested in discussing on the podcast. Just don't berate me for my grammar too much. Smiley face. I drive 10 plus hours a week through the Great Plains, so your podcast helps me helps keep me sane and informed. Number one, <clears throat> you've talked a lot about the LSAT and the GRE. I took the GRE fewer than five years ago and did well, including a 99th percentile verbal score. Do you think any school that doesn't formally accept the GRE might find it helpful anyway in evaluating an application alongside the all-important LSAT score? Um, no, <laughs> I don't think so. Short answer. No. If they're not yeah. taking the GRE, they don't give a shit. They are going to look at your LSAT score and that's it. Um, that yeah. said, if you can do that well on the GRE verbal, I'm sure you're going to do well on the LSAT. So, um, I mean, it'll, you know, you'll have to prep for the LSAT and do really well, but yeah, then the GRE, they're not even going to, they're, no, they're not going to see that. And what are you going to do? Talk about it in your personal statement? I don't think that would make any sense. Yeah. Um, it's interesting that he did so well in the verbal. I think the verbal section is the one that's harder to do that well on. Like a, there's a higher percentage of people who 
get the highest score you can get on the math. You just ace it. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I, I do know that I aced the GRE verbal, um, but, and I don't, I did not do quite as well on the math, but, uh, that is an indicator that the LSAT is probably going to go pretty well for you. Yeah. Um, two, suppose I have an LSAT score that I know will get me into a given law school, but I think I can bump my score a few points. Should I go ahead and apply to the school now? And then if my score does go up, simply inform them of that? Or should I wait completely? We talked about this a lot on a recent episode, so we shouldn't spend too much time on it. Um, generally, we advise people not to apply until they have the LSAT score they really want. Um, but if it's like a safety school and you know you're going to get in, uh, maybe you could go ahead and apply it with that score. And then just when you retake the LSAT, definitely make sure you inform them of the higher score. Yeah. Yeah. Get in and then use the higher score for leverage. So basically you get the best of both worlds. You've applied earlier and then when you're negotiating, you can bring in the other score. Yeah. Three. Finally, what do you guys think about quote soft factors? Can they help an applicant with lower LSAT scores? I mean things like graduate degrees or work experience. My own case is a 3.94 GPA, prep tests in the mid-160s, and an MA, master's degree. I'm just looking for any edge I can get. Um, well, I mean, the soft factors, they matter when you're on the bubble. But it's the LSAT score that's going to really move the needle. Yeah, they're called soft factors for a reason. They are soft factors. They are factors, but they're soft. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, it's not going to be part of the index calculation, and the index calculation is what schools use to really decide who they're interested in at the you know for the first the first swipe at you. They're going to just look at your index, which is a combination of your GPA, which is fantastic. And your LSAT, which right now, you know, prep test in the mid-160s, that's great. But if you can get 99th percentile verbal on the GRE, I think you can do better than that on the LSAT. Um, better than mid-160s is what I'm saying. So, you know, the everybody, they love to think that, I don't know if it's just they are sick of the LSAT and they don't want to study for it anymore or what, but they always, you know, people, they want to fantasize about how their master's degree is going to make a big difference, but... You know, if you're really looking for any edge you can get, get yourself a few more LSAT points because that's going to yeah. be that's going to really that's going to really change the game for you. With a yeah. with that high of a GPA, man, if you can get a 170, you're going to be looking at some really awesome offers, I would imagine. Yeah, and it, it's not the graduate degrees and the work experience that's going to do it for you. It's the LSAT score. Yeah, all that stuff will matter when you're applying to Harvard and Stanford. You know, and you've got your 170, and you've got your 3.94. Yeah. Then you're going to be on the bubble at Harvard and Stanford, and when you're on the bubble yep. at Harvard and Stanford, then things like graduate degrees and work experience is going to make a big, a big difference. But with your 165, you're not on the bubble at Harvard and Stanford. You're just not getting in. Yeah. So you know, <laughs> you at some school you will be on the bubble, and that's when the graduate degrees and work experience matter. But you need yeah. to get yourself onto the bubble by getting a better LSAT score. Yeah. And make sure your your uh, softs are actually, like, noteworthy. I, I, I feel like I hear so many people who are like, yeah, well, I got some great, I have great experience. It's like, oh, what'd you do? I had some internship. 
it's like, yeah, so did everyone else in the world. So I feel like sometimes people feel like they get a job and somehow that qualifies them for greatness. Yeah, and then people also brutally overvalue their master's degree. Yeah. You know, I have two master's degrees and they're both worthless. So it's just, it's not impressive. Uh, oh, or they point they point to their grades from their master's program. But most <laughs> grades are inflated because for sure. it's a small program and everybody's motivated, and so they all give you A's. And so saying yeah. your grades went up in your master's program is not really saying very much, and law schools know that. Yeah, yeah. The one thing you can't fake is the LSAT score. So you know, and, and your undergraduate grades—that's that's a big deal. You know, that's a yeah. four or five years worth of grinding it out, and you got a three point nine four. I mean, that's pretty badass. So you know, the thing to really make that hit home is going to be that that one seventy or whatever uh, you're capable of. Um, but it, yeah, <laughs> all the other stuff is going to pale in comparison. Yeah. Uh, thanks. Socrates, Socrates <laughs> with a T E A S E Socrates. I liked that, uh, pseudonym. So thanks yeah. Socrates. Uh, hi Ben and Nathan. This is Kiki and I am a college student from Hong Kong. I realized I wanted to go to law school in the United States a year ago. Since I couldn't even understand the questions in the LSAT at the very beginning, I started reading all those preparation books, including Power Score and Manhattan. After finishing all these prep books, I started my first attempt in doing an untimed test. Ooh, untimed. Mm. Guess what score did I get? <laughs> uh, I got 138, exclamation point. Can you believe that it is untimed? <laughs> uh, Kiki, I give you credit for <laughs> rolling with this. Uh, there were so many new vocabularies to me in that test, and I kept translating them in my, with my dictionaries during the untimed test. After that, I have some conversations with my friends, and she persuaded me to give up the plan for law. I realized that my English was shockingly poor and so and with so many problems with reading in English. Okay? And then I gave up and went traveling during every semester break, approximately 3 months in total. Cool. Uh however, I was desperate to go to a law school in the United States so much exclamation point. Therefore, I gave myself another chance to work on it after several months in doing over 50 timed 50 timed prep test. Dude, yeah. seriously, yep. this is what we have to compete against. <laughs> yep. Oh, America's going down. Oh, My latest... for sure. Yeah. Ain't, ain't <laughs> nobody worked harder than these. I, the Chinese students are just, it's, it's wild. It's amazing. Yeah. 50. So now 50 <laughs> timed prep tests. Sweet. Yeah. My latest 15 prep tests are in the range of 159 to 165. Holy smokes, man. Untimed 138, which is really like a 120 something. Yeah. To the mid to the low 160s. Yep. She usually gets negative 2 to negative 5 in games, negative 4 to negative 10 in LRs plus negative 8 to negative 13 in reading. Okay. If you've taken two prep tests out there and you think that <laughs> this is a horrible test and you're never going to get there, <laughs> email Kiki. Yeah, uh, well, actually, just go ahead and give up. I mean, it's it, yeah. like, just don't, 
because <laughs> yeah, because Kiki, the Kikis of the world, are going to kick your ass anyway. Yeah, I mean, oh, it goes it, so well with her name. It's hilarious, like Americans. You're y'all are so lazy. Y'all have no idea. You know, we're we're admittedly American. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'm not a lawyer. Jesus, thank God, I'm not a lawyer. I don't want to do this shit. But you know, it's like the yeah, the boy. It's an uphill. It's an uphill battle, man. If you're you, you can you imagine, Ben? You have to compete. If you're just like starting out with this whole endeavor, you have to compete with the Kikis of the world, yeah. Who are just gonna casually do fifty timed prep tests and improve her score by thirty points or whatever crazy thing she's done. Four, you know, forty almost. Yeah, yeah. really, <clears throat> like outrageous amount of improvement. So you have to compete with the Kikis of the world, and then you also have to compete with like the Nathan Foxes and Ben Olsons of the world, who you know just sort of naturally kill the LSAT the first time they ever try it <laughs> and, and then still, you know, and improve and improve their score by 10 points and score 170, whatever. And it's like, there's, you're going to run, you're going to run into both of those types of people in law school. Yeah. So I'd still be more afraid of the Kikis because the Kikis, man, they're going to be like, they're going to be like, oh yeah, there was a lot of uh, case law we had to read last night. I just decided to pull an all nighter. Yeah, boy, I'm ready for class today. And you're sort of like, well, hmm, let's hope that the professor doesn't call on me. Yeah, um, yeah. Oh, I was a, such a shitty. I was a. Sh- I was a shitty law student, and <laughs> I would probably be a shitty lawyer because I'm just don't have the work ethic for it. But yeah, there are some bad asses out there. Um, yeah, we have the entire, all of China just <laughs> grinding it out. <laughs> and then the Americans are just like laying on their couch watching the Kardashians or something. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Incredible. Anyway, so this is fantastic cont- email. Yeah. Thank you, Kiki. I continue or she continues. I just took the September test today. Oh, wow, congrats. And I did so poor in the game section. I thought they were all pretty normal games, and I should have gotten the game down to negative zero or negative two, but I just couldn't finish the games, exclamation point. Five questions left. That's a bummer. As for the LR, I got one minute left in the LR and finished the other two LR sections on time. As far as the reading, the first passage really frustrated me, and six questions were unfinished. You know, honestly, that's it doesn't I, I don't think that she's gonna do much differently than she's done on her practice test. It doesn't sound that bad. It sounds pretty normal. Don't you yeah, think? if she's usually minus two to minus five in games anyway, then leaving yeah. five blank could easily be a minus four or minus five. I mean, if she's doing it right, because she should be yeah. getting them right. She shouldn't be missing questions on the games of the ones she attempts. So yeah, this doesn't sound like a, a terrible report. Um yeah. That said, I mean, the games for this test were pretty easy, it sounds like. So, um, you know, it's maybe a missed opportunity to, to do better. I wonder if she took it in China and therefore, uh, or Hong Kong, sorry, and therefore. Um, oh, it could have been an test. entirely different test. Yeah, that's yeah. true. We don't know. Depending on the time difference. Anyways, here's her question. I. I predicted my score would be in the range of 158 to 162 for the September, September test. I'm going to retake it in December. Do you think I am po- I can possibly get a 170? Reading is the biggest challenge for me. What should I do to improve my reading? Look, Kiki, I think you can do anything. Um, 
I don't know if you can get to 170, though. I mean, it's just, it's still a, this test is a challenge. And if reading is your struggle, you know, you certainly can improve it. But, uh, boy, I would just focus on one sentence at a time and probably increasing your vocabulary. You might need to just learn some more words. As soon as you know that what that word means, that might make all the difference because it seems like your logical reasoning chops are in order. So maybe you're just missing some of this stuff because you don't know exactly what a word means and therefore yeah. you're guessing between two answers. That should be no problem, though. I mean, with her work ethic, I don't see a problem you know, improving her, especially vocabulary. Have I told you yeah. the story of this dude, Shaway, that I went to journalism school with? So no. I, I have a one that's one of my masters, right? I did a, um, a master's in journalism, and uh, there was this dude from China uh, who super nice guy, <clears throat> and spoke with you know very broken English and would write with very broken English, and um, he challenged me to a vocabulary competition. He wanted to do an English vocabulary competition. Wow! Yeah. And I was like, sure, no problem. And so we, like, I don't know where he got them, but we went to the library and it was Reader's Digest. Remember Reader's Digest? Oh, yeah. yeah. Reader's Digest. And it had these vocabulary quizzes. I guess every, every, every issue actually had a vocabulary quiz in it, as I recall. And there were like 20 words on it. And I'm thinking oh, I'm going to smash this dude. You know, like I'm a native English speaker. I have been a reader my entire life. I have what I thought was a fine vocabulary. Yeah. He beat the shit out of me on the vocabulary test. It was yeah, yeah. amazing. It was amazing how many more words he knew than I knew. Huh. <laughs> it was incredible. Yeah. And it's because basically he just spent his whole life, you know, or whatever. He spent a significant chunk of his life studying English vocabulary. Yeah. So, yeah, <laughs> that was amazing. And I believe Kiki can do that same thing. Um, yeah, that said, 170 is like a 97th percentile score, 98th yeah. maybe percentile score. So, you know, Kiki, you're talking about defeating 98% of all other people taking the test. Yeah. So, and there are a lot of other smart, hardworking people. Um, who are, you know, do not want you to defeat them. <laughs> so that's why it's hard to score so high. Yeah. Um, but hey, you've already, you've already surmounted some insurmountable odds, it seems. So it, who's to say where, where you're going to top out? Yeah. Her last question is really quick is just, hey, I'm going slowly on the games, basically. How can I improve my speed? And my answer would be spend more time on your setup. Think about uh, how the rules interrelate and think about maybe creating worlds, uh, yep. valid scenarios that are based on certain assumptions. Uh, for example, if T can only go in two and five, what would happen if you created a scenario with T and two and one with T and five? Uh, sometimes those worlds can now answer all the questions, which saves you a lot of time. So ironically... How should you improve your speed? Slow down at the beginning so you can speed up as you go through the questions. She concludes, I appreciate your help so much on the podcast. Thank you very much. Thank you, Kiki, for the motivation. And um, to everyone out there, I know, Nathan, you got to get going. Um, yeah. 
You can always reach us uh, by emailing us at help at thinkinglsat.com. That will go to both of us. You can also go to our website, thinkinglsat.com, or tweet us at thinkinglsat. Thank you very much. Yeah, thanks for listening. Hey, a, a teaser for next episode. Um, sure. I think we should go through, Ben, and talk about different triggers that we use for when to make worlds. Yeah, that's a huge question. When do I make worlds? Win, win, win. Yep. Yeah. We will talk about that uh, on episode 110, which will be coming at you shortly. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Thanks. Thanks.